Good morning, Gateway. What an amazing time of worship. Thank you for inviting me. So refreshing to hear different songs. Um, I also loved how you quarantined the drummer so successfully in that little see-through box. That's ingenious. Um, I'm Raj, as uh, Jenny said, I'm married to Charlotte. Uh, we have uh, uh, we have three kids, two of which are intensively practicing how to be teenagers. Uh, just to say they're really excelling and giving their all to this uh, undertaking. Yikes. Um, thank you so much for inviting me today. Uh, Akam, as I was saying on the chat earlier, um, is very dear to me. Uh, I trained to be a GP here on Front Street over 20 years ago and Jonathan Belsire, Dr. Belsire, some of you may or may not remember him. Uh, I was also invited to try Alpha in York. In fact, as we've been worshipping today, my small, uh, my Alpha table leaders have just uh, communicated with me saying they're watching today. Um, and so on the Alpha, I said yes, 20, uh, 21 years ago, and the rest is history. So I'm thrilled that there's a vibrant out of heaven in this part of York. I hope you see yourselves in that way. I'm privileged to be part of a church uh, of over 20 nations with uh, 30 to 40 percent of our congregation originating from other countries. We're also quite we're also quite a quite diverse church in other ways too, young and old different social backgrounds, different stories, ex-offenders, ex-addicts, single, married, divorced, people working through gender and sexuality experiences, all sorts of beautiful people. And one of the most fascinating things about Jesus was that although he was way up there in terms of uh, holiness, just listen to the Sermon of the Mount, what I found what I find intriguing is that the very people who fell way, way short of his standards, God's standards, came flocking to him, nevertheless in droves. We have something to learn about that. This year, I don't know if you know this, this year marks the 20th anniversary of the day the independent newspaper made its famous prediction, the church will be dead in 40 years time. Uh, and 20 years on, Phil Moore, one of our uh, New Frontiers Bible teachers, asked the question, are we half dead then? There's a thought. Um, but he also asks the question whether there's any significance to the fact that as we reach the halfway mark through the final 40 years that the Independent gave us, we find ourselves in a strange hiatus, he says, for the Western church. Is God giving us a pause so that he can share with us a few halftime reflections? For me, this has been a time of unlearning rather than just learning. It's been a time of pressing on with what we can do rather than being distracted with what we can't do. It's great to hear about that exhibition you're doing. We love creativity too at Jubilee. You can do this. It's been a call to the church, you and me, to rediscover who we are and stop being who we're not. As the Apostle Peter said in Acts 3, 6, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. 
I think it's wonderful that you've embarked on this One Body series. I believe one of the greatest things we have to offer our generation is the possibility, and hear, hear this, as well as the concrete foundation for reconciliation and peace. And really, that's what I want to share with you this morning. Uh, some thoughts about reconciliation, diversity, difference and racial togetherness. And it's great that your leadership teams, despite being in York, which is a relatively um, ethnically less diverse place, that your uh, leadership team is so interested in this. So let's kick off uh, quickly with four simple theological tent pegs. In many ways, this is a summary of what you've been through so far. Firstly, Ephesians 2 tells us, and we've heard this today, in Jesus we are one. As God's new creations, dressed in white robes, spotless, stainless, we have a new spirit dwelling in us, an unprejudiced, anti-racist, gracist, all-loving, compassionate, indwelling God. And this new you, this new humanity is now different to what it was before. Dividing walls of hostility, conscious and subconscious come crashing down. Self-awareness of our past and present prejudices doesn't produce an unhelpful defensiveness in us, but rather a progressive repentance and faith openness in us to change and be changes. We become one. But secondly, we also see, as someone read out before, um, uh, before we prayed, uh, before we joined the service this morning, in Revelation 7, God's ongoing purpose is for a new humanity of every nation, tribe, people and language. In other words, yes, we are one, but we're also very, very, very different. A celebration, the church is a celebration, a party, if you like, of cultural diversity and distinctiveness. A lot of my friends over the years have said things like, I don't see colour in you, Raj. To me, you're just Raj. And although I get the positive heart behind those words, the reality is I am different. My colour isn't just superficial, but deep generational, historical, social, behavioral, psychological, experiential, my difference, your difference brings something extra to God's beautiful world canvas. If you're from a different ethnic or cultural background listening in this morning, you bring color and richness to all of us. You are welcome in this church. You are valued in this church. You are part of this family. We are both one, Ephesians 2, and very, very different, distinct, Revelation 7, at the same time. So that's, uh, that, that's what was so wonderful, because uh, you've been going through 1 Corinthians 12, haven't you? That's what's so wonderful about this passage that you're looking at, to be in a community like this was dangerous. Don't, um, don't underestimate this passage. This is a eye-popping, stunning passage. Tempeg three. I hope this reminds you of uh, Tempegs, by the way. I hope this reminds you of camping out in the rain in devote, at the Devoted Festival. Three, Tempeg three. This one but different new humanity is played out in and through you, the church. 
shaping the rest of the world. That was Jesus' gospel, wasn't it? This one but different kingdom of God expression of Christian community now is near, is here. Matthew 5 says it's a city on a hill, the light of the world. When I first became a Christian 20 years ago, in the midst of losing the two most precious people to me at the age of 20, my mum died of breast cancer within a few year, within a few weeks, age 50. My brother around the same time committed suicide, age 28. And in a culture where family was the cornerstone of all my hope and security, in the midst of all that, God found me. In York, I was welcomed into a bigger family, a glorious family, the church. I found love and belonging that stunned me as I came back to Jubilee. Then I was the only, per only person of colour in Jubilee. But it was also in that family I found a God's desire for diversity togetherness and a love that crossed all divides, not just ethnic divides, all sorts. I remember in the early years of Jubilee, one of our friends prophetically declared that God was building a church where in here looked like out there. Wow, that promise has gripped me for years as out there has started to look more and more diverse and different every day. And increasingly that's happening. But do you know what? It's not easy. Hands up who thought church was easy anywhere. Relationships are fraught with danger, aren't they? This path of one but different holy community is messy. It's slow. It's chaotic. There's potential for tension. There's friction. Everybody's normal until you get to know them. But, but the church friends is where this stuff is all worked out through thick and thin making this a priority in the church, keeping it on the table all the time, not seeing it as a problem to address, but an opportunity to progress is of paramount importance. And I would say one of the greatest thrills of being a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And the final theological tent peg is the gospel. We've heard that this morning. The gospel, the joy news of Jesus is the best answer. Jesus brings reconciliation like no one else. As Nick shared, we are those good news bringers. Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said, Jesus Christ was up on the cross, hurting, bleeding, dying, looking down at the people, forsaking him, denying him, betraying him, and in the greatest act of love in the universe. He stayed for you, for me. Meditating on a God like that can only lead you to loving those who are different to you. Those who, are, who, those who are not your kind. Those who you have been generationally hostile to, maybe. Those you, who you subconsciously discriminate against. Or praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. In an interview, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. lamented, it is one of the tragedies of our nation, one of the most shameful tragedies that 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning is one of the most segregated hours. Sadly, that is still a lament for many of our churches today. 
Mushtaba, uh, back home in Iran, was brought up to hate Afghanis. When he came to Faith in Jubilee, he was surrounded by them in his midweek community group. Finally, God also gave him a job working with even more of them. But as the power of the gospel started to take a hold of his life, he gradually grew to see Afghanis with God's eyes. A love grew in his heart, contemplating and getting to know Jesus changed his whole worldview. Why? Because Christian theology, the gospel, is worked out in relationship and togetherness, the church. Relationships change us more than any set of ideas and principles ever have and ever will do. And a relationship with God is the pinnacle of that transformational change, which flows out to each other. Moshtaba now co-leads this midweek community group called Salam, along with his son, Arsalan. And they are part of our working party, if you like, on diversity in Jubilee. Today, in fact, the Iranian church is the fastest growing Christian movement in the world. Wow. Friends, Jesus is the answer. The gospel is the answer. In our world, that fact sometimes look, feels, looks a bit awkward. It's an awkward conclusion, I know. The church will get into difficulty with it, but everything else falls short. If you're not a Christian here this morning or watching later uh, and you care about diversity, don't dismiss Christianity. It is the most diverse, um, multi-ethnic, multicultural movement in all of history. It speaks for itself. So that's my simple framework. One, one different in and through the church trusting in a radical countercultural community transforming world-changing gospel as i look back on the last uh, 20 years i guess the question is what have i learned what have we learned at jubilee so far we've made loads of mistakes that's for sure but a few things that we have learned none of them rocket science but all of them are challenging Hopefully some of, for some of you, these examples may be helpful, moving you forward both individually and together. That's my prayer this morning. Firstly, we need to know where we are going and envisioning a revelation and an envisioning by God. That was the, that's really what the first bit was about. That's what theology does. Theology touches lives. Brian Stevenson, a uh, a Christian American lawyer and social justice activist, especially for those on death row, describes this envisioning by God as hope. Friends, we have a hope like no other. He says this, Brian Stevenson, this hope we have creates a willingness to, posi to position oneself in a hopeless place and be a witness that allows one to believe in a better future even in the face of abusive power. That kind of hope makes one strong. This envisioning gateway is all of our responsibility. It needs repeating and rephrasing and re-emphasizing everywhere. What do we need to do? What processes do we need to change? What hurdles do we need to remove? What blind spots and prejudices do we need to seriously and sometimes painfully address? and so on. We, all of us, not with a defensiveness, but prayerfully and with faith 
and grace. Envisioning friends starts with the person in the mirror. So envisioning, that's the first thing. Secondly, we need to be, we need to proactively raise diverse people and empowering of your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is essential, we found both in representation and process. As an eldership team, we have a British guy from a Polish background, an Iranian uh, ex-Muslim convert that came to the UK as an asylum seeker, myself, an Anglo-Asian and a young Brit, and, a, and we also have a young Brit with roots in Gibraltar. All of us want to cross culture. And into that mix, we also invite friends from all over the world to benefit from their cultural intelligence and wisdom. Spotting your interculturers, interculturers is key too. These are, the, these are the people who thrive in this mixed environment. They have a God-given passion, creativity and skill to bring difference together spot who they are, encourage them, and let them loose in settings of maximal impact. That is quite courageous sometimes. Stephen Joe, uh, who now lead one, leads one of our New Frontiers churches in Hull, Stephen Joe, one such white couple, they loved to interculture. They devoted, they were devoted to raising people's dignity and honour and value. They invited people to their homes to eat and sometimes to live. They visited others. Their whole family was taken on this journey. They sacrificed their own comfort to uplift those struggling with systemic discrimination and sometimes poverty. One early morning, Steve, along with a local GP who wasn't a Christian, defaced a giant political billboard at three o'clock in the morning, dishonoring immigrants that was right outside where we met as a church. They were beautifully provoking to be with. You couldn't help but be changed by them. I mentioned an empowering process here too. People feel permission to contribute and move things forward in different ways. We need to unlock these ways and not just do things as we think is right. Community changes from the grassroots upwards. My Iranian friend and elder, some of you may have met him, Sarush, generally only speaks when asked to. That's him honoring and respecting us. In the past, I've read into that differently. I've made my own assumptions as to why he was always quiet when I wanted him to speak. But I was wrong, so wrong. And, and so now I've got into the habit of regularly asking him his thoughts, even though he's free to speak anytime he likes. But by giving him this space, I'm also showing honor and value back to him, which is culturally releasing and meaningful to him. Trust develops, communication changes and evolves. Also inviting him to a three course meal is a great way of hearing him deeper empowering him, changing me, affecting the church. Usually it's McDonald's, but I'm sure most other fast food establishments will work just as well. We had a 20 year old guy called Eremias from Eritrea too. He had a good grasp of English. So we asked him to interpret for us on a Sunday. 
However, when we encouraged our Eritrean family to pray or break bread or read scripture, we found that they wouldn't. It baffled us. These guys love to worship and pray. Months later, we asked Aramaeus, are you translating what we're asking you? And he told us, of course I'm not. I'm a young guy and so I can't tell my elders what to do. So he didn't. We learned something that day about culturally diverse empowerment and communication. Thirdly, I would encourage you to have fun. Have fun with different people. Get stuck into celebrations and parties and social gatherings and experience how different communities enjoy themselves. It's a little tricky at the moment, I know. But it's a great insight into other people's worlds and a massive eye opener to your barriers and skepticism. If you've got any, if you've got any hair, let your hair down. I've been to Eritrean coffee rituals in living rooms where the smoke alarms started screaming and the house almost burnt down. I've been to Persian New Year celebrations where I've danced till my hips gave way from wiggling and jiggling. I've sat in a in makeshift saunas, then plunged myself into ice cold swimming pools, nearly passing out, friendshipping with white new white new converts who not so long ago were racist towards people like me. I've cooked with people, walked with people, sang with people and jumped on trampolines even. I've even eaten turkey porridge. Get that. Having fun breaks down barriers so quickly. Brian Stevenson notes again, you can't understand most of the important things from a distance. You have to get close. Proximity has taught me some basic and humbling truths. Another friend of mine who we'll call Farod was a Muslim asylum seeker from Afghanistan who when I first saw him looked solemn and emaciated. His stare was stern and spoke of despair and tragedy. And indeed, as we got to know him, as he joined our Alpha journey, as he ate with us, as he spent Christmases with us, we got to know his story. These things can't be rushed. Indeed, his life so far, only 20 years old was a continuous series of death and abuse and separation. But through his friendship with the church, through the gospel, through his thirst for Jesus and what he said in the Bible, God brought healing and family back to this desperate man. Eventually, after a few years, unfortunately, his asylum case failed. In my final conversation with Farod before deportation, I was determined to counsel him about his safety and being careful what he reveals to others about his newfound faith in Jesus in the midst of terrible persecution. That was my agenda. But in those final words, that wasn't his concern. He also didn't say, Raj, everything will be okay. I'll be fine. He knew that wasn't the case. Instead, for the next five minutes, he led me through one of the most profound Bible studies that I've ever experienced from Romans 5, which he'd been praying through and pondering through over that week. He eventually said to me, Raj, I am good. I am happy. I am strong. Jesus is joy. I always have Jesus. Jesus makes me strong. The church gave me that forever. Fine. Proximity works both ways. It changes it changes me, it changes them. Finally, empathy. 
in our zeal to become diverse and multicultural, we can be in danger of making people into projects rather than Jesus' motivation of compassion and care. Empathy, care, love is key. In the incarnation, Jesus put his feet in our shoes. In fact, he went one step further. He washed them, which for many multicultural um, um, peoples, this is an eye-opener. People from different nations are very good at spotting a lack of authenticity. Recently, Simon and Jody, a couple in our church, befriended a Salvadoran family living in Middlesbrough. They had lots of basic needs. Simon and Jody took the time to ask questions, find out what they were lacking. And through the church, we managed to help them settle in their new home. Remember, this was lockdown, difficult for them. Getting sorted was tough for this family. Surprisingly, amongst their list of requirements was a guitar. Their son knew how to play and together the whole family worshipped. They missed that so much. This was so important to them in lockdown. So Simon made it his mission to find one. And the week after he delivered it and the family sent him short videos of all of them. Children too, worshipping God and praising in their own language. Let's be compassionately creative. Let's seek out the lost because actually minority cultures often keep themselves to themselves for good reasons. We need to find them and welcome them. I could go on all day. I have lots more stories, but I'm going to nearly stop there. One more. An Iranian Muslim guy started coming to Alpha. He loved the community and family feel. Anyhow, one day he attended one of our Sunday mornings. One, someone brought a tongue like, like today we heard. Someone brought a tongue and then the host explained how speaking in tongues was a gift from God. By the way, I didn't tell you, this guy, this uh, Iranian guy had one, only one leg. And on, 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 and on hearing the explanation of the tongue, he suddenly started hopping jubilantly in the middle of the aisle with his crutches flying all over the place. We were all wondering what's going on. And he told us the previous night he'd been woken up and he was speaking in a language he'd never learned. This, this man had no cultural idea or experience of Christianity. And so it terrified him. In his Muslim experience, he thought it was the devil that was speaking through him. But that morning, he realized that Jesus was getting through to him. He was so thrilled that he had encountered a living up close to God, not the devil. The next week, he said yes on Alpha. Psalm 67 says, may, the God, may, may, may God be gracious to us and help us and bless us and make his face shine upon us so that your ways may be known on the earth, your salvation among all the nations. May all the peoples praise you, God. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. Gateway, let's show the world that Jesus is Lord and that his church isn't half dead at all, but fully alive, changing hearts and changing communities. You are doing so well. You're, you are such an amazing light to York and beyond. So keep, keep putting your faith in his faithfulness. Let's pray, shall we? Thank you, Lord, that you are good. 
Thank you, Lord, that you are building one body with many different people groups within that body. I thank you, Lord, that you are calling your church to be joy news to everyone, everywhere. And I pray this morning as we've shared stories that more stories will come out of this church through individuals and together um, activities. I pray, Lord God, that those stories will ignite the hearts of others so that more and more people know the glory of God, the wonder of God, the beauty and majesty of our sacrificing Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and fill us afresh right now. Let us be a people who are molded by you, willing to take steps of courage and faith, knowing that you have the victory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.